0: Welcome to the Beltway Broadcast, the premier podcast for the workplace learning and talent development professionals of the Association for Talent Development's Metro DC Chapter. We've got some great resources in store for you today. Hello, fellow ATDers. I'm Christina Eanes, the 2023 Vice President of Marketing and Communications at the Metro DC Chapter of ATD. Also part of our team, we have Helena Hodges, Vice President of Finance and Operations as our producer. And unfortunately, my co-host, Stephanie Hubka, the Vice President of Membership and Outreach, could not join us today. Now, For this episode, we are speaking with Lisa Kron. Welcome, Lisa. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Well, before we jump into our topic of Wired for Story, which I am so excited about, can you share a little bit about your background with our listeners? Absolutely. I
1: mean, I have been interested in stories like most of us since I was very small. And when I left college, I decided I wanted to go into publishing, which I did. Um, And I've worked with basically writers and story for more decades than I want to admit to being alive. And. What what really pulled me in, I mean, I, I've been and an, uh, I've worked in publishing as doing publicity. I've worked as an editor. I've worked as a literary agent. I've done some screenwriting. I've read, I've worked for the, uh, I've worked for uh, some talent agencies, meaning talent <laughs> in the other, <laughs> in the other meaning of it, meaning the other writers <laughs> and writers and, you know, and screenwriters reading books to film. And the thing that pulled me in and that interested me more than anything was when I would read, I've probably read thousands of manuscripts. And I couldn't just go and I was I was asked to read them to go, well, could this for instance be a movie or could this be published? And I couldn't just go, yes or no. I had to tell them why. And that meant as I was reading, I was diving in and thinking, okay, why is this grabbing me? If it isn't, why isn't it grabbing me? And the thing that surprised me more than anything was that when it didn't grab me, It was for reasons that had nothing to do with what I'd been taught. When it did grab me, again, reasons that had nothing to do with what I'd been taught. And what I discovered was, was that what pulls us in and what really grabs us has nothing to do with being a good, quote unquote, writer, having a way with words, a love of language, great metaphors, great. Nor did it have to do with a plot, meaning what was happening. It had to do with what was happening inside the protagonist. Another word story is about and what pulls us in is that internal struggle and the way that that character who is like a Vulcan mind meld to us is reading meaning into what they're doing. In other words, it's not about what they're doing. It's not about how beautifully said what they're doing is. It's about why and what it's costing them emotionally. And that was something that nobody else was talking about. Nobody else out there at all. In fact, you know, for the writing world, it is the opposite of what is taught. And I thought at that point, well, that's just, this is my opinion, right? I've just come to this and this is my opinion. But luckily for me, I mean, timing is everything, right? Like they say, what's the secret of good comedy? Timing. <laughs> at that moment, there was the burgeoning world of neuroscience. Mm-hmm. And it pulled me in immediately because I realized that, wait a minute, what I thought of as like my theory is if I made it up or something was actually a biological fact.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: that was huge. And at that point, diving into it, not just in terms of how to write a novel or how to write a screenplay, it became, wait a minute, how do we communicate with one another? What really pulls us in? And that realization that, you know, stories is wired into the architecture of our brains. We think in story, we think in narrative and communicating with somebody means really understanding their narrative. So you can speak Your narrative to their narrative. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's what basically pulled me in. And I was very lucky sort of last thing is because no one else was talking about this in the writing world or, or really in the world. I was able to just, (laughs) I was able to be the first one there, especially in the writing world. And from that point on, I've been a consultant to, you know, writers, screenwriters, memoirists. I've taught at the School of Visual Arts in New York in their MFA program in visual narrative. And my most recent book is called Story or Die, which is taking these principles and taking it out into the world, you know, where you're not necessarily a novelist or a screenwriter, but you're just trying to communicate with somebody else and hopefully win them over to your point of view in terms of whatever it is that you're trying to get them to do. So
0: that's sort of my background. I love it. Well, and your book Wired for Story, which is a topic that we're covering today. Uh, And TED Talk, we got to do a plug for that as well. (laughs) But I love neuroscience as well. I love story. Mm -hmm. I'm just curious. Can we start out by maybe discussing what the brain craves from stories. What the brain craves and what we're coming for is what
1: I said a second ago is why somebody's doing what they're doing as mm-hmm. so all the way back movie in, you know, in the movie world to the movie that used to say was the best movie of all time. And now most people have not heard of it, Citizen Kane. And it opens with a newsreel producer saying nothing's more interesting than finding out what makes somebody tick. And mm-hmm. that is the, just what we all want to know. We can see the world out there. We see the what, right? I mean, all of us, one thing I think every single one of us, you, me, everybody listening or watching today has in common is that we've all survived from birth until now in the physical world. We've done that. We're survivors, mm-hmm. but we don't want to know about the, the the external physical world. We want to know about what somebody's really thinking. We want to know about why they're doing what they're doing. And that is what the brain craves in story. That that coming in that Vulcan mind meld, that you're on someone's yes. wavelength, which sounded always, when I was growing up, it sounds like a metaphor. And it's not. Mm-hmm. It's a biological fact. So always what we're craving is, I see what you're doing. I want to understand why. Mm-hmm. And the reason why is because we evaluate everything that we hear about, that we think about, that we see based on one thing and one thing only. And it's not, it doesn't make us selfish. It makes us human and you know, allows us to survive. And that question is, how is this going to affect me in mm-hmm. my life in terms of achieving my agenda? Is it going to help me or is it going to hurt me? Which basically boils down to, is it going to keep me safe? And that's what we're wired to come for in everything. And when we're trying to convince somebody of something, the first thing they want to know is, and this is like an old saying, but it it, it really bears repeating, nobody listens until they feel heard. And that means yeah. you have to know their story, which means you have to empathize with them. And empathy is something that's often misunderstood. People take it as a synonymous yes. with sympathy. And mm-hmm. it's not. Empathy simply means, because sympathy is like, you feel sorry something bad's happened mm-hmm. and you sympathize. Empathy isn't just when something bad has happened. Empathy simply means you understand why somebody's doing something based on their belief system in their yes. opinion that's what you need to know first before you can convince them of anything, teach them anything before they're willing to listen to you. Because otherwise, you know, the minute someone comes up to you and says, we got to talk, it's like, okay, but not now. (laughs) (laughs) Because now I know you're going to tell me something bad about myself. And I'm thinking of all the bad things about you. So I can just, (laughs) you know, to throw at you. So yeah, that, that basically is what we're, we're
0: wired for. How is it? Well, and and I love it too, because reading stories is a great way to develop empathy. Oh, absolutely. In ourselves. Yeah. And I love that you mentioned too, we want to know what it has to do with us. Because in the in the training world, uh, instructional design world, we have what's called the WIFM. And I'm sure you're familiar with that, right? What's in it for me? Got it. Yeah. Yeah. That we have to address that for our adult learners. And I'm curious, maybe especially because we oftentimes, uh, you know, we need to convince them why they need to learn this particular thing or why they need to listen to what we need to say. And I know you mentioned a little bit about cognitive secrets in your book. So what are those that we need to be aware of when we are trying to maybe convince others to do things or or share the why or well, the f- anything? The first thing that we really
1: have to understand is, as I said before, why they believe what they believe. What do yes. they believe? Why would it matter to them, not why it matters to you, because the biggest problem we have when we're trying to convince someone of something is we think they have the same mindset we do. I mean, it's called curse of knowledge. Once we believe something, it's we're nigh on impossible to see that somebody else not only doesn't believe it, but isn't aware of it, which is why Mm -hmm. facts absolutely don't work. I mean, if you give someone facts, one of two things is going to happen. Either if, well, first of all, if they already agree with you, that, you know, you're preaching to the choir. It doesn't matter. If they can't unpack the fact, they can't see boots on the ground, how it's going to affect them in their lives. Even if they're trying to pay attention, they're really thinking like, I'm hungry. I wonder how much longer to lunch, you know, <laughs> something that like really matters to them. And the third thing, and this is the scary thing that I think we can see in the, in the business world, in the world world is that once we believe something, it becomes part of our self identity. And when you tell somebody something that contradicts it, they get angry they don't get mm-hmm. angry because they decided to or they're self-centered or they're you know not smart or It's their brain. It's not. It's not their choice. Where, as I'm fond of saying, wired to live in a world we don't live in anymore. And once we believe something, and it becomes part of our self identity, our brain's goal is to protect us. And that doesn't just mean our physical body. It means our psychological self, who we are and how we see ourselves. So when someone comes in and says something that's the opposite, up comes this part of the brain. Not only that's going to argue with everything, but that gets. Angry. I mean, here's a here's a fun fact. When somebody says something that you disagree with, that you know is is the opposite of what you believe, blood rushes to your thighs in case you need to make a quick getaway. <laughs> because as far as your brain's concerned, it is the same as a physical threat. It's the same as somebody coming at you with a baseball bat. Again, we don't decide to get angry. We don't decide to have our blood boil. Great metaphor because it's true. Mm -hmm. That happens. Our brain has taken that out of our hands. So the best way to convince anyone of anything, there's a lot of work to do first, which is you have to understand why in their opinion, what you want them to do is going to benefit them and make them feel more like, and I hate using this word because it's so overused, but their most authentic self. Yeah. That's the key. Yeah.
0: Oh, that makes sense. So is there, um, maybe an example you can provide of when story has been created, uh, done well, and maybe tips for creating it during the process?
1: Well, story has been done well. I mean, <laughs> I can give you a two word story that did very well. That is, that, that also Ooh. turns out to be what PolitiFact called the biggest lie of 2008. <laughs> Uh-huh. And it's a two word story and it's all it takes, yeah. because if you understand how your audience is going to unpack what you what you've said, mm-hmm. the, the biggest lie of 2008, according to PolitiFact, was Sarah Palin's death panels. If if, if, if the Affordable Health, Health Care Act came in, we were going to have death panels. And she knew if she said that, that what. Her audience was going to unpack it as, is grandma or worse, my critically ill toddler is going to have to go up in front of like a, a tribunal of bureaucrats who are going to look and go, yeah, you know what? It's, we've done the math and it's not worth it. And we're going to just leave them to die. That was what they were going to unpack. And that's why there was so much, you know, when you think about, and this goes, I mean, here goes story versus fact. The other side was saying, no, you don't understand. Let me explain to you why that isn't true. And they were going to give facts. Nobody paid attention to that, and that was the yeah. truth. I mean, what they should have said was, "You have, you have, you know, insurance companies for profit now. We've already got death panels. It's like, I <laughs> mean, that is our system. How can you not know that?" But the point is, when you know how someone's going to unpack it, it can be two words. Or, I mean, another example that I could give you, and this comes from from an ad. You know, it was an ad for Volvo. Not Volvo, I'm sorry, not Volvo, Subaru that they did a while back. And it was when you think about, because what you want to think of is, what is the misbelief that your audience has About what you want them to do. That if you could correct that, not by telling them you don't want to tell them they're wrong, but by showing them, by making them feel that it's wrong, that they're going to realize that. Wait a minute, I've looked at that wrong, and what I thought was helping me actually is pulling me. You know, it's pulling me away from what I want. And here's what I need to do. And what they did was they also broke a pattern because stories again have they've got to break a pattern immediately. Got to pull us in. Surprise pulls us in. So what they had done, they'd done research and they realized a lot of people loved. Subarus, but let's face it. I I think you know, full disclosure, I, I drive a Subaru. I think they're beautiful now, but they didn't used to be. <laughs> they, they, yeah. they were the ugly duckling of cars. Yeah. And they thought, how can we pull people in? And they realized that what drew people to Subarus was a safety factor, that they really mm-hmm. were the safest car out there. So they took a big risk. They had an ad and it opens up and it's like early morning and I think there's a guy watching and you're kind of zooming in on a car crash. Like, How mm-hmm. often does a commercial open with the what they're trying to sell you smushed right yeah smashed and one guy comes up to the other guy and we're looking at this you know this car and the the man who comes up has a look on his face like oh like exactly what you would think like oh my god and the guy turns to him and just says two words he goes they lived Oh, and you just go, I remember it, that. Yeah, yeah. It's repeated three times. And it really, what that did is in those two words, it really went, it took a misbelief. If I'm going to be in a, in a car crash, you know, that's all she wrote. That's it. Uh-oh. And what yeah. it said was maybe not, maybe mm. if you drive a Subaru, you might, you might live. So that is an example. Again, two word story, very visual understanding what it is that people were afraid of the most, which is if you get in a car crash inherently, you know, that's going to be it. And taking something that was going to do the other, but also that element of surprise because the three things a story has to have in the very beginning to pull someone in to get the, there's a, a, it's literally a hormonal cocktail that pulls us in, happens three times. First, first hormone is, is dopamine, which people tend to think of is the pleasure hormone, but it's not. It's curiosity because something good might happen. Mm. So it's surprise dopamine. The other thing that you need is, uh uh-oh, something bad might happen. There's something at stake and that gets cortisol right there. We're worried. And then the third one, which is the one that often goes, missing especially in the business world when you're trying to convince someone of something the hormone is oxytocin which is the empathy hormone and in order to do that the person in the story has to be vulnerable there's got to be vulnerability that is the key to all of it those three things secreted at once then we are pulled into whatever story it is and we don't have a choice we're affected by stories every Mm. minute of every day whether we know it or not and almost always we don't. So, anyway, I mean, that's a very quick way of saying a couple of examples, and that's what stories need to do in the beginning. But if you don't mind my saying, the thing that matters most before you even get to how do you create a story is mm-hmm. understanding the person who you're trying to teach something to. And even though yes. you might be thinking, well, but this is teaching, this is, you know, they, they need to learn this to continue with their profession or whatever. When you teach anybody anything, you're implying they're already making a mistake you're implying mm. there's something they don't know and people don't want to go there. <laughs> yeah. So you got to bring it in and see it from their point of view first and open it up so that they're pulled into it as opposed to anything that feels like, nah, you better know this. Cause that, you know, ends up making people angry and, and having that boomerang effect where they double down on what they already believed, you know, as yeah. opposed to what you need them to see.
0: Oh, I love your point about knowing your audience and not just the, uh, for lack of like the logistical stuff, uh, you know, demographics, right. that kind of thing. It's it's really taking an audience centered approach and and seeing how they view life and and that again back to empathy. Yeah.
1: It's hard. Well, it's especially hard, you know, when it's (laughs) when it's a group that believes, you know, like, for instance, you know, QAnon, like, how Mm -hmm. do you go in and have empathy, you know, for somebody who's going to tell you did you know that Stevie Wonder isn't really blind? He's just doing that. I mean, you know, how, how can you get people to believe that when you can't mm-hmm. get them to believe climate change or you can't get them to believe that vaccines work or you can't get them to. Yeah. I mean, it's stunning. I mean, I think it's one of the ways that you can really look at at people who might seem way beyond the pale and people who are convincing them and going, they know something we don't know. They know yeah. that you've got to go because think about it. When you hear about people who are pulled into, you know, before there was QAnon and, you know, and, and everything that's going on here, it would be like people who were radicalized. And it's like, well, how are those people who are radicalizing people understood that what mattered is somebody needed to feel seen and heard. They needed yes. to feel like they mattered. They needed to feel like somebody was paying attention and they weren't being vilified or made to feel stupid or made to feel like there's something wrong with them. Or that the minute you get someone like that, you've got them. And then once we do, we're also wired. Once we belong to a group or a community or a tribe or whatever whatever word is okay to use, you really want to stick with that because literally your your safety depends on it. Again, it comes back to how we're wired. We're wired yeah. to live in a world we don't live in anymore. And when people go, I don't need that. I'm a lone wolf. I always want to go
2: Yeah, right.
1: (laughs) You you also want to go, like, you do know wolves travel in packs. (laughs) In the wolf community, like literally, in the wolf community, a lone wolf is a wolf that has done something so egregious, it's been left to die. It's been ostracized. We all want to belong. And then, I mean, the other scary thing about pulling somebody's, on somebody's belief system, is sometimes you have to realize that if you pull on one thread of it, you might pull all of it down. And that's why a lot of people will stick with something that seems so beyond the pale, but it's like, if they question that, they've got to question everything. And that's too frightening. So there's so many more things at play than just quote unquote logic. I mean, that's where, if you don't mind my saying, we've been so deeply led astray, like the whole cornerstone of, of Western civilization, Plato's, it's logic and reason versus emotion I mean, Plato, bless his heart, was 100% wrong. It's emotion at the end of the day. We make every decision based on emotion because we don't understand what emotion is. It's not some yeah. vague thing you know, where, where its goal is simply to subvert logic and reason. Emotion is what telegraphs meaning. It lets us know mm-hmm. what things mean to us. If we couldn't feel emotion, if we couldn't feel and process it, we couldn't make a single rational decision. Again, biology, not yeah. metaphor.
0: Yeah, yeah. It makes us, uh, it helps us make decisions much right, more quickly. We'd be analysis paralysis, right? <laughs>
1: right, well, Exactly. But at the end of the day, even when we've thought about it, because it's not binary. I mean, I mean, yeah. Plato made it seem like it was binary. You know, keep emotion yeah. away, right? Don't let <laughs> emotion. And it's not the opposite. It's not well, to hell with the facts. It's just my mm-hmm. gut feeling is it's both and. But at yes. the end of the day, Always, emotion is the decider, because emotion yes. lets you know what it means to you. like I said, literally, biologically, you could not make a decision if you couldn't feel and process emotion. Absolutely You'd be able to yeah. it's- well,
0: I'm so glad that you have brought in because I've heard several different ways of you know storytelling, you need to create a story this way and mm-hmm. it needs to start out this way, and the middle needs mm-hmm. to have this. I'm so glad you brought in the, the way the brain works and why we need to develop things and that we can create an amazing story with just two words. You know, it doesn't have to be this whole thing. Um, So before we get to the rapid fire questions, can you share, I know you just, you mentioned a little bit earlier, but very specifically the resources that you have available and how people can find them. For me, um, I have a
1: website is simply wired for story. I'm very easy to be found that way. There's a website called Creative Live that I talk about bad marketing, at least for, for my part of it. It's mostly photography, mm-hmm. but I have several classes there that are long and there's a great writing resources and business resources there. Also, what used to be lynda.com and now it's LinkedIn learning. There's a, mm-hmm. I have a course there. Um, yeah. And that's,
0: I'm really super easy to find. Awesome, because I know people are going to want to dive deeper into this.
1: Yeah, and just last thing on that, my most recent sure. book, which is called Story or Die, is exactly on all of this. Not it's not there for for uh, you know for for writers per se. It's there for you know the 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 world of work, the world of other
0: people. Okay, Lisa. At the end of every episode, we like to ask our guests our guest, rapid fire style questions. Each question requires a less than 60 seconds to respond. So are you ready for some rapid fire? You bet. Awesome. Okay. So of course, in addition to your books, give us one book that everyone must read and why?
2: Okay, the book that I would recommend is a relatively new book, and it's called An Immense World, and it's by Ed Yong. And the reason is, I mean, here's the subtitle, How Animal Senses Reveal the Hidden Realms Around Us. And the reason why, besides how everybody's talking about awe being the thing that makes us feel human and good and connected to everything else, This is so full of that, but it also lets us see the world in realms that we are not like physically capable of seeing. I mean, my whole life I've thought, you know, the world can't be defined by our, you know, five senses, our ability to perceive it. And the way that the world is seen and experienced by all different kinds of animals really makes us feel, I think, connected Mm. and really makes us feel how important it is to see how other people, creatures, animals see everything i think yeah. it really really will lend to empathy without being something that you'd read to try to empathize with other people who you might already like disagree with so you've already got a, a reason why you're kind of you know i don't want to read about that i don't want to know about that yeah. this opens all of it up in a way that is just human and he is an amazing writer it's just mm. it's a fabulous like reading science fiction it's so good except it's not fiction <laughs>
0: so An Immense World by Ed Young is the book I think everybody should read. He's awesome. Oh, awesome. Thank you. Okay. So what is a tool and you can define that however you'd like that you can't live without. I figured, and I struggled over
2: this one. Mm-hmm. And the answer actually is a keyboard. I cannot live without a oh. keyboard. I can't write. I can't think without a keyboard. Once I, I mean, I, the typewriters were great. The minute I got my first computer, first laptop. I think better. I work better. I go faster. I i don't know what I would do without, I mean, obviously, and the laptop to which is it, atta- it is attached, yeah. but a keyboard is the tool. I, I, can- I would not be me without a keyboard.
0: I so, love that. that. I mean, if you think about that, gives you access to the world, which is amazing. I love it. Okay. What is the it's best it. piece of advice you have ever been given?
2: Okay. Since I really thought about, and this really did make a difference. I was, I was starting my business. I was working with writers and I was working with a, a coach who said, and I said, yeah, you know, I, I just don't know if I have the time, if I can go ahead. And she said, okay, is there anything you hate? Like, what are you doing that you really, if you could stop, what would be the one thing you stop doing? And it was something really seminal. It was writing notes. I write, you know, writers come in, they want notes, they want things written out. They want, and I said, and I I hate it. I hate doing it because I don't think it's valuable. It wastes time. It makes my stomach hurt to do it. It's always better to talk it out, but everybody expects it. And she said, stop doing it. Stop offering it. Stop doing it. And I I, I can't. That's what people mostly come for. She said, just stop doing it. And I stopped doing it. And my business doubled.
0: <laughs> wow. And I have
2: never looked back. It was so counterintuitive. I never would have had the gut to do that or even thought that it was a possibility to do it. Until she said, Yeah, don't do it. And yeah. I think what you know, what makes me good, what makes me able to listen, what makes because dialogue is so much better than just telling somebody something. You don't know if they're gonna get it, you don't know if not. I do everything in dialogue form and wow does it make a difference. Well, like I said, I never would have had the courage if somebody didn't give me that piece of advice. And so, yeah, if you hate it, don't do it. And don't do I, I don't it. know that I would have <laughs> kept yeah, I don't know if I would have kept my been, been able to keep my business going otherwise. Because that's how much I hate it. Just hated it. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. So it just yeah, let it go. Of advice I ever got. <laughs> Indeed.
0: Awesome. Indeed. Oh, well, Lisa, we are so happy you joined us today to share your wisdom with our community. Thank you so much. Well,
2: thank you. It was a real pleasure talking with you.
0: Oh, well, and of course, many thanks to our community for listening. Now, before you go, though, we have a message from our producer, Helena Hodges. Attend one of our upcoming programs. There are many to choose from. Simply go to DCATD.org and select
2: Chapter Calendar to find out more.
0: Follow the Metro DC Chapter of ATD on LinkedIn today.